Welcome back to the Adventist City Ministries podcast. My name is Andrew. And I'm Jeff. You know, something that pops up on the internet that's funny that I like reading about, just something silly, is that you see these pictures that people post of knockoff brand toys, things, you know, whatever whatever they find, you know, when they're shopping. So they'll be like Spatterman, <laughs> these Chinese toy companies, and, and, and just, you know, funny things that sometimes people share. And it's kind of going off what we're talking about today is the counterfeit gospel. Yeah, there's, it seems to be the uh, sort of the theme of the day. If there's something real, there's going to be a knockoff somewhere. There's tons of Lego knockoffs, Minecraft and all that fun stuff. But with the gospel, I mean, this is serious stuff because this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ being imitated to the point where, you know, the enemy wants to confuse people about what's really going on. And so for, for us in the Christian world, it's, it's going to be so close to the actual gospel that it's going to be hard for people to tell the difference. Yeah. Counterfeit isn't any good unless it closely mimics the real thing. Um, But the essence of the counterfeits that Satan brings to the table is that it loses the power and that the gospel has. And Romans one talks about that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And uh, so if it's a different gospel, that power doesn't exist. And so it's, uh, it's sort of not life-giving. These counterfeits aren't life-giving. They're, they're life-taking, in a sense. And uh, we have to be bold enough to, to point that out. Because, uh, you know, we've been given this, this uh, great and wonderful ministry, and that is to share the, the message of salvation with the world that God has accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ, and uh, to have it distorted because of uh, unbelief, because of pride, because of a lot of other reasons that uh, these false gospels uh, take hold. Uh, it's, it's a shame. And so uh, we who have been called by Christ to be teachers of the gospel or preachers of the gospel, whatever you want to say, uh, we have to be bold. So usually there's two big counterfeits that are out there that we can kind of just name and, you know, it's the extreme. So on one side you have legalism, which says it's your works that save you. You know, it's all your works. You got to do, do, do. And this is how you're saved. But then on the other side, this space where it's, Oh, well, you don't need the law. You don't need the old rules that God set up. And so that's often called antinomianism or, you know, without the law. And so those are very extreme things. But a lot of what Christianity focuses on, you know, in terms of gospel, you'll, you'll hear people preaching the gospel, but oftentimes it's, it's what's called Galatianism or saying that you believe in Jesus and what he's done, but then adding your own works to it, your own deeds and, and, you know, trying to still, you know, appear good to God and to other people. And it's, and it's very deceptive because, you know, you go around, you say to people, oh yeah, I love Jesus. I, I'm, we're saved by him and his righteousness but it becomes his righteousness plus your own righteousness. Right. And it is deceptive, but it's also pleasing to human nature to be able to contribute. That's what, that's why we get caught up in that is this because we're constantly looking for what's my part in this. And uh, you know, and how does that look in terms of uh, as we talk about the gospel, how does that look? What is my part? You know, I, I've, I've been in seminars where the, the gospel is being spoken of and, um, 
if we, uh, as we go through the process of delivering and sharing the truth of the gospel, and we have with on on air here for quite some time, uh, people will often say, "Well, you you left out the most important part," and they'll say, "Well, you know," and that's my part, and so we need to you know kind of discuss that because that's what the counterfeits mm-hmm. kind of rally around is one extreme or the other. Yeah, I had a recent experience where I you know, was sitting in church and explaining to somebody, yeah, this is what the gospel is. Jesus has been kind and gracious to us. And when he died on the cross, he, he took us there with him so that as he died, we died. And as he rose, we rose with him and, and we have all his perfect character and his deeds and we get to be counted in his righteousness. And then somebody sp- spoke up and, oh, but you got to remember, you know, we can't, we can't just make it that because we have to do something, you know, and, and it was clear to me that this wasn't, there wasn't a balance of understanding in, in their idea of the gospel. So let's just do a really short review and, and examine a few things here. So, so I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I've had people come up to me who are trying to evangelize witness to me and say, oh, are you saved? Yeah, it's interesting when that happens. It's not an easy question to answer because there's... There's parts of it that are, you know, right on. And then there's parts that are yeah. still to be delivered. And that's kind of what we got to cover. I, when I talk about this, I talk, I talk about the three P's, you know, and, the, mm-hmm. and it's just a different phases of salvation. Uh, one is, is this, is this that we have to be saved from the punishment and guilt of sin. That's the first one, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Bible teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. And so we are guilty, all have sinned, and the wages of that is death, the punishment. So there's a condemnation that goes with the yeah, guilt I mean, it, that we have. This is something that has to be dealt with in terms of salvation. The second, the second part of salvation is, is that there's this power and this slavery inside me. Paul talks about it at length, Romans chapter 8 and such. And, and, and David was described in the Old Testament as being shapen, his shape had the shape of iniquity. And so um, the, the, the idea is, is that we have this natural inclination or bent inside of us, a bent towards sin. Right. And that's kind of built into our biology. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's who we are since the fall. And, and then finally there is like this, this issue that we have. And that is, is that if you just look at our bodies, you realize that, there's a presence and nature of sin that's affecting affecting us already. So that's the three P the three P's is there's punishment and guilt. There's power and slavery and, and, and there's presence and the nature of sin. And obviously I can say I'm saved to parts of that, but, but like, for instance, the presence and nature of sin doesn't, it doesn't happen until the second coming when, right. when this mortal shall put on immortality. We're, we're going to be struggling in some sense with sin until Jesus comes. Yes. But it doesn't necessarily mean we have to succumb to it. Right. That's correct. Okay. Um, so let's go to then the three phases of the gospel, because just as there are three areas of sin, uh, there's, there's three areas that sin is affected by then there's those three areas that the gospel affects in turn. Right. And the the gospel we're going to see is overarching, but we're going to break it up a little bit because the three, these are really the, what I I would say are the three phases of salvation. Okay. Because there's three issues that we need to be saved from. 
And these are the three issues of salvation that deal with them. The first one is the gospel or the, that which is the good news uh, that, that stands alone. And the second one then would be the fruit that occurs in our lives because of that good news, we call the fruits of the gospel. And then the third one is the hope of the gospel. Those are all consistent with the, the New Testament as well. And if you wanted to put theological words yep. with those three Let's seconds. put some big words together. Yeah. You could just say, this, well, this is justification, sanctification, and glorification. Right. I like to use the gospel, the fruit of the gospel, and the hope of the gospel because it's just, it gives a, it's a little bit more understandable for yeah. people than those. Good news. Yeah, gospel good, means good yeah. news. Um, and also we need to recognize that in Christ, and, and that's how we receive everything, that all three of those come as one package. So there's no, there's no while they're, they're independent and different, they come together, and so they're all aspects of the good news. Right. That is to say justification, sanctification, and glorification. Okay, well, let's, let's break down justification a little bit more, the, the gospel, what we receive from Jesus, him on the cross and his actions for us. Yeah, um, what we said was that justification is dealing with the punishment of guilt of sin, so that means it has to somehow, there has to be forgiveness because we are guilty. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And, Andrew, I'd just like to point out the, the, the glory of God is his agape love. Mm-hmm. So this is, as we speak about this, is that we've fallen short of his glory, that we've actually fallen short of agape. Right, so anytime we sin, we're... We're not living up to the character, the love of God, and it shows. It's, it's, the, it's our selfish nature that takes over. So there's a penalty for that, a natural penalty. Mm-hmm. And so justification says, okay, we're going we're gonna to make this right or declare it right. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily made right, but it's declared right in Jesus Christ. And so there has to be forgiveness. Uh, there has to be um, the, uh, the guilt or the... Um, when we say the term guilt, we're not talking about how we feel, but the fact that we are guilty. Okay? Right. It's <laughs> something that has been declared about us. Right. Legal, so, more so, in the legal sense. So that is taken away as well. And it's, it happens because the righteousness of Jesus is input or imputed into us. Right. So we, uh, we no longer stand as ourselves. We stand as Christ, his history. We've talked about this at, at length mm-hmm. in our series. So justification takes care of, you know, it forgives, it allows for forgiveness to occur. It takes away our guilt and the righteousness of Christ is put within us or imputed. So when we talk about justification, we can also call that the objective gospel. Yeah, we can, because it's, there's not a dime that we've put into it. Um, this is all the doing and dying of Jesus Christ, right? And he, uh, it's, it's objective from our perspective, because we didn't, you know, subjectively put ourselves into it. Yeah. You know, he's, he's objectively done it. And at the, at the, when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And I, I, what I like to do is, is as we've gone through, I said, what part did you have in the birth of Jesus? What part did you have in the life of sinlessness? What part did you have in the, you know, the death on the cross? What part did you have in his resurrection or his ascension? And mm-hmm. yeah, we weren't there. We, we, we didn't contribute at all. Only by faith are we there, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, and so, but the beauty of justification is, as Jesus says, now you're my brother and my holy history is now your holy history. Right. You, if you believe. And so that belief pulls us out of the guilt because Jesus was perfect in his behavior and his actions, his deeds. He's perfect in his life and he died a death that was ours. Okay. So now that we can see that there's an objective 
part of the gospel. It's what God has done without our help, without our input. So then how do we relate to that? You know, how do we react? And, you know, we will often talk about that as the sanctification process. It's not, it's not our works going towards our salvation, but just simply how we respond to all these wonderful things that Jesus has done for us. Yeah. And we think it's really easy for us to begin to think that this is, oh, now this is our part. Right. But we have to remember that even in justification, even before we even thought about looking at to what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is coming to us and is drawing us to that, that purpose. And, and as we hear about the cross and hear about the life of Christ, we're actually given the faith to believe that it's true. And once we believe that, Romans 5 tells us, uh, Romans 5, 5 says that the Holy Spirit then comes upon us and pours, out, pours the love of God out into our hearts. Mm-hmm. So this is where sanctification begins. This is the Holy Spirit now comes to us. And, and it, it, remember, we're, we're worried about the second P or the power and the slavery of sin. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit's going to uh, begin to deal with in our lives. In other words, as the Holy Spirit enters in, one thing we, re- we need to remember is that sin and God can't dwell in the same place. Mm-hmm. And so when the Holy Spirit begins to enter into us, he begins to push the sin out of our lives. I like to say he crowds it out. He crowds it out. That's right. That's a good, good way of thinking about it. So some of the things we have to come to grips with with regards to this is, is that it's even though sanctification, we, and most people will agree, it's a work of a lifetime. You can see there's plenty of textual evidence to that. And so that it's progressive in our lives. Peter talks about a ladder of you know, progression with regards to holiness, which ends, by the way, with agape love. Um, yeah. But we also need to recognize that it's instantaneous as we've accepted what Christ has done. And this is the, where people struggle a little so bit. So you're saying that when we accept Jesus, the moment that we believe that we are instantaneously counted righteous and we receive the Holy spirit and you know, all the blessings that go with it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, Hebrews chapter 10 says he hath forever perfected those who are being sanctified. Okay. And so for, then what does that mean for us in the rest of our lives? Cause if I'm counted perfect and instantaneously righteous, then what's, what's there, you know, how am right. I supposed to go forward from that? Right. That's a good question. And I understand why people um, struggle with this notion. But let me just put it this way. Um, how, how sanctified must you be to enter into heaven? Do you, need, do, you need, do you need to be 20% sanctified or 40% sanctified? I think it's 100%. So you have to be 100% Perfect. sanctified. So where does that leave most of the people who've lived in this world, if that's the case? Very much lacking. Very much lacking is right. And so um, this is, this is um, part of the plan of salvation that's built into because of what Christ has done on our behalf. We're not talking about the fact that we are living sanctified lives, but that we're, his sanctification is attributed to us. Mm-hmm. And so it's instantaneous. There's plenty of texts that use the past tense and, 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 and in the Greek and in the aorist tense, so to speak. And so... Um, this is something that's biblically correct for us to understand. Now, what, that, what does that do for us? Well, if we didn't have that instantaneous sanctification, we'd be wondering all the time, am I good enough? Right. And so our, our experience would be almost a little bit um, 
schizophrenic in that, and I don't, not in a derogatory notion, but just that we are always going to be worried about whether or not we're good enough to be acceptable before the Lord. Yeah. Doesn't James refer to that as being double-minded? Double-minded. You got, yeah. you got two brains going on, make up your mind, which one you're going right. to go in. <laughs> and so um, this is also called standing in grace, uh, according to Paul, in that while he's growing us, God considers us sanctified. So we're, we're perfect when we accept Christ, but then he's continually making us perfect. Yeah. And, and, and it's an amazing sequence, you know, that uh, Paul talks about and Peter talk about of, you know, where, you're, where you can find yourself. You can look and you can say, well, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm struggling. Self-control is one of those steps and perseverance and patience and those sort, sorts of things and, and brotherly love. And, and you can kind of look and you can say, yeah, you know, he's still working with me on certain things. But in the meantime, you don't have to be uh, losing, you know, losing faith or hope in that you're savable because you, you're savable be, always because of what Christ has accomplished, not because of what you're accomplishing, so to speak. In fact, uh, in sanctification, it appears that as much as God does with you, it doesn't contribute one iota to your salvation. I've known some very seemingly righteous people, you know what I mean, who looks mm. like they're, they're like saints in their, in their behavior and the way they can conduct themselves. But none of that, you know, is contributing right. to their salvation. Even the Apostle Paul, you know, has the conundrum. And we can see it in two places. In, in, as he writes letters to Timothy, he says, in one instance, he says, I am the chief of sinners. So he looks at himself and he said, you know, he has this condemnation for himself. But then in the other aspect of it, he says, I've run a good race. I've finished my course. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So he's calling himself the chief of sinners, but then he's saying I'm saved. And so this, it's sort of a, a dichotomy that he presents. And it can only be resolved in the notion of instantaneous and, con- and continuous sanctification. Right. So there's no... We don't have any fight with anybody who's like, oh, well, uh, no, it's instantaneous. No, it's progressive. Or, no, it's both. It's both. And we get to enjoy the benefits of both of those perspectives. Yeah. And it gives us assurance. Yeah. We don't yeah. have to be worrying about. Right. As long as we're in Christ. Arguing with other people. About and we're it. allowing the Holy Spirit to work within us. And then, of course, the third one is glorification, which uh, we've talked about it already. Uh, John says it the best in First John chapter 3. He says, Beloved. Now we are sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so glorification just kind of deals with the fact that, you know, one day in a moment in the twinkling of eye, we shall be changed when this mortal shall pin on immortality. And, you know, we'll be reflecting the character of God in our lives. It's very exciting because it's not just us as individuals, but it's a whole body of believers, the, the entire church that is doing that reflecting of Jesus, like a, a multifaceted gem in, in his crown reflecting what his character is like. Yeah, it's, it's, you're referring to Ephesians 3.10 where it says, you know, the, the manifold wisdom of God or his character will be revealed by the church, the principalities and powers in heavenly places. So God's character will be revealed by his people to the universe. And that's the ultimate in God's plan as he, he wants the whole matter of sin to be settled. And uh, I don't know why, but I count it, I count it an honor. To, I, I, I mean, I think it's a little, it seems a little risky to, 
to say he's going to do that through us, but that's, that is exactly what his plan is, is to show the universe that in sinful human flesh, his character can be fully revealed. All right. So when we talk about the objective gospel, it's complete, meaning that we have everything that we need in Christ. It's universal. It's for everyone. You know, all people can accept what Jesus has done because Jesus has taken care of the sin problem for every human being. You know, he's, he's gone to the root of problem of the problem and undid what, what Adam did in the fall. And then it's what we can call meritorious or the righteousness of, of Christ in Christ. And, and that's the means of our salvation. So also I would say this, it's outside of us. Mm Mm-hmm. All of those things are outside of us. And Jesus would say, or the New Testament would say, it's you in Christ that these things are true. Mm -hmm. We have to remember that as we're explaining this, we have to remember that it's complete because Christ was absolutely complete with regards to all these aspects of, of the life that we needed to live and all that. And it's universal because he did it for all of humanity, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So yeah, that, that would be the objective gospel. Right. So then, the subjective gospel, then instead of just us being in Christ, it's then turns the other way. Christ is in us. That's Christ right. is in you. So the part of the subject, subjective gospel is that it's not complete right away. There, so there's a phase that, that is complete, but then this other phase that is incomplete and that we're still learning and processing. When you're living in a sinful world and you have so much pain and hurt and abuse in your life, you have to learn how to process that through the eyes of God and, and learning how to heal from that. And that's, that's a process, you know, you can't be blinded by the, the light all at once. You know, God is slowly showing us how we have been healed through the, the objective gospel. So it's incomplete, but then it's also particular. What, is, what does that mean, particular? Uh, it only applies to believers who um, have a faith, by faith experienced a new birth. So in other words, it's... Uh, applying directly to people who are responding to the Holy Spirit with regards to what God has done on us, done on our behalf objectively. Right. So in other words, the whole world isn't um, experiencing the subjective gospel. Yeah. So it's kind of like that metaphor that we use a lot with, you know, you, there's a gift in heaven and once you open it, then, you know, you, you basically use it. So like money for your birthday or something, you know, it's in the card. You can't really use it until you open it and then it, you know, you get to apply it and you get to buy whatever you need. And it's also like intimately associated with the the indwelling of the Holy spirit. Cause remember when Jesus was getting ready to leave his disciples in uh, John chapter uh, 14 through 16, he talks about the comforter coming many times and he repeats the idea. He says, when the comforter come, he comes, he will teach you of me or I will come to you through the comforter. And so this is the coming of Jesus to us in, in our lives, Christ in you. He comes to you through the Holy Spirit. And so the subjective gospel involves the Holy Spirit living within you. And like we mm-hmm. talked about before, he's changing you because he's, he's uh, kind of crowding out all the other stuff that you've allowed to be in your life. And uh, he's making you something different that looks more like, the, you know, more like Jesus. And so... That's an important part because Second uh, Timothy chapter three talks about in the end, mm. it says there's going to be a group of people who are living who have a form of godliness but don't have the power. In other words, they're calling themselves Christians, 
but they don't have the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so they've only experienced, maybe they know the uh, objective gospel. Maybe they understand it from a knowledge perspective. Like, you know, they can tell you all the right, right texts, but they haven't said yes to the Holy Spirit coming into their lives and changing them completely. You know, I think we can really apply that today. I was listening to something about abuse and part of abuse is the the drunkenness of power when we have control over other people, you know, it's, there's, it's really an addiction. Like you find yourself craving power and the ability to have, maybe it's knowledge, more knowledge over somebody or, um, you know, your health, your prophecy, conspiracy theories, whatever it is that you desire to have power. And, but that's like a, a counterfeit version of power, you know, talking about those people who have that form of godliness because they don't have the power of the Holy spirit. It's almost like they're trying to manufacture their own power and it's deceptive and, and abusive to the church. Yeah. And the, the list of things that they have in their lives in, in Peter is in, it's indicative of that fact that the Holy spirit has not entered in because things have not been pushed out, so to speak in their lives. And, and there's, it's quite an egregious list of, you know, mm. of, of things. And so it's possible for us to know or have a knowledge of the gospel, but not have the experience of the gospel being acted, you know, enacted in our lives. And that's kind of a, a little bit of a, a, you know, a take a moment to think about thing. You know, it's uh, how is, how is your experience going in Christ? And um, have you, I mean, are you inviting the Holy spirit to fill you with the agape love of Jesus Christ? you know, as a result of what you have learned about who he is. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you can notice about the counterfeit gospels is that people won't have assurance yes. of salvation. They'll, it'll be this constant questioning because you're, you're relying on your, your works as part of the equation. It becomes this constant questioning. Well, have I done enough? Have I been good enough? You know, it's like that, um, the sign that they have at workplaces, you know, this, this place has been accident free for how many ever days. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then, oh, it's like, oh, I had an accident. I sinned. Oh, now I'm back to zero and, you know, management must be really angry at me, but. For doing you know, something, uh, learning along the, the process, the, the father is going to pick up that child and put them back on their feet and help them, you know, to, to dust off and, and, and get right back on the horse. You know, I think about two statements of the, from the book of Job and the experience that he went through. And these are, you know, I'm quoting these sort of, uh, ad hoc you know, in a way, uh, but he said, I know who my redeemer is. You know, he, and, and he uses that terminology. He, he knows that, somebody has allowed for redemption outside of himself. And, and then he turns around and he says, though he slay me, I will not forsake him. And so Job is having this experience of, I, I know I understand objectively what my God has done for me, redemption. And because of that, I, you know, I, I, my life is, I just can't possibly think of how I could, leave him even unto death. That means the Holy Spirit's largely, because we, as human beings, we can't make that decision. You know, we, we can only respond to, we, it only comes out of response to God. 
So, so Andrew, let's take a look now at the, you know, a little more seriously and closely at the counterfeits, because one thing I want to point out to you right away, and you've probably, this has probably been your experience too, is if you're preaching the gospel from its subjective and objective, its objective and subjective uh, notion, uh, it seems like there's people from one side are going to be shooting at you and saying, if, if they have a tendency to be um, a little bit legalistic, they'll shoot at you and say you're being too liberal or you're mm. being, you're preaching cheap grace. Yeah. And if it's somebody from the cheap grace side and they're looking at what you're teaching, they will shoot at you and say, well, you're, you're, you're teaching legalism. Right. And it's no wonder that like, well, do I really fit in here in this, this uh, congregation? And you know, I would, I would be tempted to leave, yes. to leave if, if that were the case, if I was being treated and I didn't know what to do. Right. So let's, let's take a look at those, those terms. Uh, there's no such term as legalism in the, the New Testament of the Bible, but the Bible teaches it with some synonymous um, ideas and they are the works of the law or the deeds of the law. So uh, legalism essentially means that we we use the law of God as a method or a means of our salvation. We're trying to attempt the same thing to be saved, except we're using the law, the do's and the don'ts uh, as a means for our salvation instead of Christ. Right. So we're saying here's the 10 commandments. They're a good thing, but in order to, for God to notice you and, and to, to save you, you've got to abide by them to the, to the letter and you know, we, everybody's navel gazing and looking at everybody else and evaluating and, it, and it's really judging. So how does that affect? You said legalism isn't an English term, it's, but the concept is there in Greek. It's in Greek. Yes. And, and it's the notion of, of, like I said, of using the law as a method or a means of salvation. The Pharisees were really good at this. Remember they, they would tie their mint, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and I, I'm not looking at them and laughing. I'm looking at them and feeling sorry for them because it's a bondage to, uh, to think this way. There's no freedom in it as, you know, as we understand the gospel, it frees us from this bondage. And the other thing is, is if we, in Christianity, if we move into legalism, we've moved into a place where every pagan religion is based. Mm. Okay. And in a lot of religions, it goes like this. If you do this and this, then you get to go to heaven and be happy forevermore. Right. That's whatever look. form that takes or whatever they right. prescribe. And, and you can look at, at religions across the spectrum and see that that's reality. Uh, just spend a little time at looking at the basic tenets of religions. And so when we do that with Christianity, then we've just put ourselves in harmony with the false notion that the, you know, the rest of the world has experienced their religious life in. Okay. So if we're going to summarize legalism, we can say it's man trying to attain a ticket to heaven, you know, get your ticket based upon his own performance. It's our own deeds that recommend us to God and help us to get there. Yeah. And for some reason we're inclined to want to contribute to the process. Um, It's our human nature. Um, Here's the point I want to make. And that is, is that there's nothing that we can do that makes God love us more. Mm-hmm. And for, I mean, he, for God, so agape the world, unconditional love that he gave his only begotten son. So God has loved us all that he possibly can. And so uh, if you think that's, it's something that some performance that you do that makes him love you more, no, that's not, that's not the truth or the reality of it. He loves you in every way that he possibly can. So we see that there's a really extreme side of legalism, yes. you know, 
we can see it coming from left field. But then there's more subtle, little, intricate forms of legalism that we may not be so keen to recognize at first, but you know, over time we maybe can come to see, oh, this is actually really deceptive because, deceptive because it's so close to the real gospel. Yeah, if you remember the story uh, of Paul going, uh, writing a letter to Galatia, it's a, a wonderful example of that. The issue was, uh, he went back and he said, you know, why have you taken on this new gospel? And then he had to go on and explain what that new gospel was. But he, and before he did that, he said, listen, if anybody comes and teaches you any gospel that isn't the gospel that I've taught you, whether it's another person or an angel, let them be anathema to you or to be a, cut a, a curse. Let them be yeah. cut off. That's how important this is. And so, and that's the truth today too, is that's how dangerous these false gospels are is, is that you should not even give them the time of day um, and, or consider them in your life, but just consider what Christ has done and the truth of that. And so uh, in Galatia, what they were saying, and it became, they even had to, in their day, they had to go to a general conference meeting in order to solve it. Um, they said, okay, well, we believe that Jesus did what you've taught us that he did, but we still think that you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. And they made it a salvation issue. It wasn't just, uh, you know, an ancillary. Yeah, it was, a, it was a salvation issue. And so um, we can do the same thing. If you stop and think about if you took any doctrinal position and you said, okay, well, this doctrine, in addition to the, the truth of Jesus, the, salvation, the saving truth of Jesus, you have to, you know, do this in order to be saved, then we, we're moving into Galatianism as well. Mm. And uh, Paul just, uh, you know, we, we've had the tendency in, in, in our background to do this. Um, we've uh, preached the law to the point and the keeping of the law to the point where uh, it was exhausting people. Yeah. Yeah. You get, if you go to a church and somebody says, oh, Jesus loves you, but hey, you got to go change your clothes because we won't accept you if you're dressed down like that. Right, and there's been a lot of people who have left the fellowship because of being treated like that. You know, and uh, God's tent is much bigger than that. Let's right. put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a subtle form of legalism because it claims the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but then it adds to that experience, do's and don'ts. So uh, we need to be wary of that uh, because it will steal your freedom in Christ from you. Yeah, and there, there's no joy in trying to. To, f- to find peace through your own ability to perform. You know, peace it, in it. Andrew, Paul himself was a legalist for a long time. Most of his life, he called himself a zealot. That, that you're, it's hardly used. But I, let me read to you some of the things he, he said about himself. He says, that, this is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. He says, though I might have also have confidence in the flesh. When he says in the flesh, he's talking about his own works. Mm-hmm. If any other man thinketh that he he hath whereof he might trust the flesh. I more, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But then he says, this is, I love when Paul uses words like this, but what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Mm. In other words, the things that he thought were important when he learned about what Christ had done, they were all loss. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom 
I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung yeah. that I might win Christ. And I think in the original language, the, the, the word dung there is, is, a, is a bit stronger. Yeah, that's right. But anyway, he's just basically saying, man, I was once the most pharisaical person you'd want to meet, and I qualified. Mm. But when I encountered Christ, I realized that that was about all as valuable as the garbage I set out on the curb. You know, I wonder how we would translate that into Adventist speak. Like, oh, I'm a fourth generation Adventist and I'm a pathfinder, a master guide, and I've eaten so much fried chicken in my life and I've gone to all these different conferences and I know how to mark my Bible and guide other people in Bible studies and I'm an elder and so on and so forth. And But God doesn't look at those things to help you to get to heaven. No, he, the only thing he counts is Christ's righteousness. And that's the end of his statement. He says, and to be found in him, in Jesus, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Let's look at the other extreme end of, of this, because you're, you're more likely in the Adventist church, at least to be accused of cheap grace. Yeah, it, it does come sloppy up a lot. Agape. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Uh, it does come up a lot. Uh, most people don't even know where that term came from, uh, cheap grace. You mentioned before, it, from a theological term, it's antinomianism, or it's uh, from the two Greek words anti and nomos, which is against and the law. And so these are people who are like, okay, well, since Jesus did it all, I don't have to do yeah, anything. What's, what's there left? I don't right. know. I don't know. So uh, the, the term cheap grace came from uh, the German martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Mm. And he, you know, he actually wrote a nice book kind of that outlines what he meant by this. But antinomianism or cheap grace is saying I'm saved by grace alone. And uh, since I'm saved by doing the doing and dying of Christ, uh, and since my works make no contribution towards my salvation, then I can live as I please. Okay, so we think that sometimes, you know, as modern-day Christians, we think that these problems have only cropped up in the, you know, but uh, Paul talked about them at length. In fact, one of his clearest presentations of, you know, justification in the gospel is Romans 5. Uh, But the reality is, in Romans 4, he deals with legalism, and Romans 6, on either side of the true gospel— Romans 6, he deals with the notion of cheap grace. And so way back in his time, in very early Christian thought, he was already having to uh, write apologetics with regards to these two counterfeits that Satan had put out from the very beginning. I mean, we're just talking years from when Jesus actually, the gospel, the manifestation of the gospel was here on earth, and already the counterfeits were taking hold in the Christian community. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Uh, in other words, can we, can we keep sinning so that grace increases? Is, is that what we should teach? Right, yeah. If, if there's sunshine, then my shadow, our darkness is proving the sunshine. <laughs> That's right. And his answer is by no means. Or I don't know how to say that stronger. But <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And that whole chapter or that of chapter six kind of deals with that notion. It applies to the believer, uh, this notion that he's talking about. And if we move in this direction, then we're denying the second half of what occurs 
when we receive Jesus as our personal Savior. Remember, Romans 5 taught us that the Holy Spirit enters into us, and as he enters into us, he pushes sin out, out of us, in our lives. And so, on a daily basis, we invite him into us, and the sin, he, he is changing who we are and making us more like Jesus Christ. So, if that's not happening in us, like if we're, we're in this point of stasis where, you know, now I've accepted, then we just have the knowledge without the power. Yeah, if somebody comes up to you and, and they subscribe to this, you know, we call it once saved, always saved, and, you know, Jesus died instead of me. Well, you can say to them, hey, Jesus is going to heaven instead of you. And so it's much more integral and more abundant and, and more fleshed out than just this simple idea that, you know, Jesus died for me and now I can go do whatever I want and get into heaven no matter what. There's, there has to be a you know, fruit, you know, evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. And it's really very natural because if, if God is putting that love in your heart, you know, it's not you striving to do anything to achieve. It's just like, oh, I, I see these people in need. I'm going to go help them. I see these, these brothers who are misunderstanding what God's word is. So I'm going to go teach them. You know, I'm going to use this gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given me. I can understand why it's a, an, another easy trap to get into. It's sort of like, you know, we're traveling down this road and the road is the gospel and there's a ditch on either side. And uh, Satan doesn't care which side of the ditch you fall into, just that you fall into one of those ditches. Even if it's a partial fall, like, you know, uh, Galatianism is, he doesn't care. He just wants us to be confused because the good news is such good news that it changes our lives. It changes who we are from the moment that we move into belief. It changes who we are and the Holy Spirit enters in and our lives are never the same again. We experience genuine justification and when we have been crucified with Christ. And, we, and, and that means, according to Paul, that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us, right? That's the whole experience. The life I now live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is, this is justification by faith. This is salvation by grace. And so there's probably, on the continuum of understanding the gospel, from uh, legalism to antinomianism, there's probably a lot of stops in between, you know, like Galatianism is, is, is a form of, of uh, legalism. Mm. There's probably lots of forms. It's a spectrum. It's this very fluid spectrum yes. that you can, based on your personality and, and how you react to certain things, you find your home on that spectrum of self-righteousness. Yes. But what we're hoping here is, is that as you've encountered the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that it sets you on your way to freedom in him and that the Holy Spirit can come and begin a process in your life that probably will take you the rest of your life and, and, uh, and you'll, you'll see the changes. And maybe at the end of your life, even, you'll come to the same conclusion as the Apostle Paul and you'll look back and you'll say, I'm worse than I was before. And, right. and, and that's just a, a truth that comes to us as we draw near to Christ. It's like he's saying, look, I've looked back on my life and the only good thing has been God's grace and yes. his gospel. Yes. But at the same time, we can say, I've run a good race. I have finished the course. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. We can say with assurance that if we're in this process, that we're safe in Jesus. And that's what I think is important Amen. to people who listen, is that you can be safe in Jesus. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. You know, we're 
we're transitioning now to our series on the Ephesus model. So we're going to really cover how do you do urban ministry? You know, we're going to go through the, the steps that it takes. So I want to encourage all of our listeners to go to our website at venicityministries.com. Check out our, our free resources on there. You can download a free copy of the Ephesus model uh, so you can really follow along with what we're going to be doing in our next season. So please take a look and we'll be happy to take your questions and your feedback and also go over to iTunes, give us a rating so that it'll help us to help other people find the, the podcast and um, you know put it a little further up on the list so when we come up for the search results. So thanks to our listeners. We'll talk to you next time. God bless. Bye.